electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. John Ford, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the surging NASDAQ ahead of those critical earnings reports next week and why some are now saying stocks are not just having a bare bounce. We'll see if the investment committee agrees with that. Joining me for the hour today, Brenda Vangelo, Jason Snipe, Josh Brown right here on set is Jim Labenthal. Let's go give you a check of the markets today. It is the Nasdaq that's green up by nearly uh, 50 points there, trying to get to a one half of one percent gain, pushing ever so closer to 12,000 on the Nasdaq. Dow is a touch negative. S&P is a touch positive. 295 is the 10 year note yield. Jim Labenthal, I say some suggest this is not just a bear bounce. That's the word from Fundstrat's Mark Newton. I've talked to him quite often here and in overtime. S&P knocking on the door of 4,000. And while many indices look to be nearing initial resistance, I remain convinced, he says, that this week should not be just a bear market bounce. Your comment on that. I like the way you set that up. I like the way you said some are saying. Not everybody is saying. This is not an obvious call that we're done, that the lows are in. But the reason that I'm bullish, Scott, and I mentioned this earlier in the week we were on together, um, is that balance is resuming to the overall tone and sentiment of the market. For several weeks, it has been all negative all the time. The negatives are still there, okay? We see what's going on, whether it's, you know, the Philly Fed today, whether it's uh, prices that are still, you know, 8 9% higher than a year ago. But there are positives as well. And I think that's what Mr. Newton is seeing, at least in the price action yesterday. It's what I and others are seeing in the earnings. Now, I'll give the quick qualification. We're 15 percent into the earnings season. So everything I'm saying has to be taken with a grain of salt. But the earnings are simply not the disaster that has been anticipated, neither the reported earnings or the guidance. I know we're going to get into more details on earnings later, but I just have to leave it there. Another qualification, 15 percent into it, Scott. I get it. But they're just not that bad. I get you. No, they're, they're not great, but they're certainly not the disaster that many uh, were looking for. So, Josh, uh, Newton goes on to say uh, this should signify the start of some upward progress for markets into September. I remain convinced this should not be just a bear market bounce. Do you agree? I'm curious if Newton is allowed to uh, disagree substantially with Tom Lee. He is. Uh, I don't know what the. Th- he is. I've, is I've raised this issue. I've raised this issue as to with him directly okay. to his face as to whether they okay. are so always I've, on the same page and they not that they aren't uh, necessarily always, at least in lockstep, you know, day to day or week to week. OK. Yeah. So uh, Fundstrat for, for me, uh, I feel, is one of the most justifiably respected um, independent research firms. And I, I'm a huge fan of Tom's uh, and Mark's. But. Um, part of me, part of me feels like there's got to be some, uh, maybe not, it's not an outright attempt, but there's probably going to be like more harmonization between the house view at Fundstrat and the technician 
um, when it's muddy. And I feel like it's very muddy right now. So I don't like I don't I, I don't know what technicals are being looked at. What I see is a counter trend rally in growth. So let me let me explain this for you. Um, what we've seen since the the June lows, which I think now are tradable lows, meaning we could trade off of that level and we could say maybe that is a uh, bottom and that's that's constructive. They were not violated. Um, but since then, what we've seen is the S and P 500 growth factor. So, like assign, assigning uh, factors to the market, you see that the growth factor is up 10 percent, quality is up 7 percent. And value is only up 5%. So growth is beating value off the lows by a factor of, of double. Um, that's counter trend. So counter trend rallies happen all the time, um, but they're not the primary trend. The primary trend, I still believe, is value. Um, but these growth stocks, they've been completely washed out. There were a lot of shorts. They ran out of people to sell. Whatever narrative you want to use for why they bounced, it almost doesn't matter. The point is that they bounced. That's the bet you want to make going into your end, that a rally that is led by 10x genomics and, uh, and ETH and uh, all of these um, money-losing companies, that's going to be the thing that takes us back to the, the old S&P highs. So I don't want to make that bet. Um, interestingly, WTI down another 3.5%. That puts oil at roughly 3% above where it was. Um, from the invasion of Ukraine on 224. So the oil market being down a lot is also counter trend. I think those two things are going to reverse. We're going to have substantial energy shortages in Europe. We already know it. Um, no, almost no matter what anyone does, that's going to be a negative story for the overall market. Europe's, uh, Europe's uh, GDP is about the same as ours. Uh, and I just don't think that you can avoid the fact that we're still tightening, that we're still seeing money come out of the system, and that we're still seeing the housing market rapidly um, start to start to fall apart. Like these things are not one or two day events; they take place over months, mm -hmm. and none of this stuff is really in the earnings yet. Okay, um, I think all of those are great points, uh, Brenda. So, how do you see it? Are you on Jim's? more bullish side or Josh's more measured, cautious, if not negative side for all of the valid reasons that he laid out on the table here? Yeah, I think I'd say I'm somewhere in between, but I think it's certainly encouraging to see the reaction to earnings this quarter because last quarter was also a great quarter, but the market just didn't care and focused solely on the negatives. And that's what we you know, uh, went through for most of the second quarter until sentiment did start to change a little bit. And I think it's because it just got way too negative. But I think if we look at the positives, it's clear that the consumer is still healthy, job market's still healthy, retail sales are hanging in there. So I, I want to think that the market is coming to terms with this new reality, that the economy is going to slow. It's by design. It needs to in order to combat inflation and, and soften demand. That's the big problem here. But I think to the extent that we can see that earnings aren't a complete disaster, and I think that we still need to see a lot you know, of what happens next week. Next week's a very important week uh, that we need to see, um, especially from the large tech companies, you know, that where we've heard that they've cut back on hiring trends and other things. We need to understand why, what it is that they're seeing in their in businesses that's causing them to make those changes. Mm -hmm. But I think if, if revenue holds in there and that earnings uh, can still grow, and I think that's a very important part of this, because we have a lot of strategists that are calling to little to no, for little to no earnings growth this year. And if it, that doesn't transpire, I think that's certainly a positive. I love the point, um, Jason, that, that Brenda makes here. 
you know, it's really difficult to make big, broad market calls ahead of the big, broad market earnings next week. These names that have in, in large part gotten us here in the first place. The Nasdaq's up 13 percent from the June low. Apple's up 19 percent since mid-June. Amazon's up 21.5% since late May, as Alphabet is up 11%. But these stocks, NVIDIA is up 27.5% since early July. Meta is up 185 since late June. Um, these things have gotten us in large respects to where we are. Can you really make a call on either side of this debate until you hear from those companies? No. <clears throat> I, I think that's <laughs> – I would agree with Josh. I think that's a really tough call. Uh, to make here, you know, I, I was saying this earlier, I was thinking about this earlier before the show, just, you know, the macro backdrop has been difficult. It's been really foggy. You know, last week we got some some tough inflationary numbers. We got retail sales at the end of the week and the market was rallying off of that. Again, those are it was a slight beat, but it was nominal. You know, if you look at it from a real rate perspective, it's not not the best. You know, we come into today and this week, housing numbers, not not really great. Philly Fed, not awesome either, you know. So it, it's, it's tough to kind of look at that and say, okay, uh, we're, we're screaming to the upside. And as you mentioned, I mean, NASDAQ is up close to 8% this month, um, you know, and a lot of the growth names have, have really run. So I think for me, I'm still leaning defensive, you know, still looking at this market and, and really evaluating kind of the macro and, and the read-through on the consumer. How is the consumer still faring? Again, as Brenda mentioned, uh, you know, the, the earnings haven't been terrible. They've, they've been okay. But again, if, if we're looking at it and going into kind of the pulse and the, and the, the personality of this market, I mean, we, we're very pessimistic and we've been focusing on mm -hmm. the E. So I think I'm really f concerned about guidance. What, what's the guide through? How does FX, how has FX played into a lot of the mega cap tech names? Obviously, you know, the employment situation, we still have a very tight labor market, but maybe it's just being prudent and just understanding the macro, the environment, and really understanding, hey, let, we don't need to make any serious moves here before we, as we move forward. Let's, let's kind of see how, how, the, how the market still continues to play out in the macro backdrop as well. So yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little bit in between. Both I hear sides. you. I, I do want to continue the conversation. I, I do have a number of interesting calls out on mega cap tech as well that we want to discuss here, too. I do want to jump down to the White House. Our Kayla Tausche has made her way there. We are expecting a briefing uh, later on this afternoon, but let's get an update on the president. As we learned today, he has tested positive for COVID-19. Kayla's there right now. Kayla? Well, Scott, the White House has scheduled that briefing for 2 p.m. here with the press secretary and Dr. Ashish Jha, who is the White House's COVID coordinator. And just last hour, the White House physician, Dr. Kevin O'Connor, releasing a letter saying that President Biden has begun a course of Paxlovid after experiencing symptoms such as runny nose, fatigue, and a dry cough. Of course, his age and his symptoms would qualify him for that treatment that has been granted an emergency use authorization by the FDA. Uh, the first lady is considered a close contact by the CDC's definition, but she is traveling today talking about the administration's education initiatives. She was in Michigan this morning, then she'll go to Georgia. And then after that, a slight change of plan. She'll be heading to the family residence in Wilmington, Delaware. After that, as uh, it's expected that she will continue to go through a regular testing protocol. But earlier today in Detroit, she referenced the president's diagnosis and had this to say. My husband tested positive for COVID. I talked to him just a few minutes ago. He's doing fine. He's feeling good. 
Uh, I tested negative this morning. I am going to keep my schedule. I am, according to CDC guidelines, I am keeping masks. The White House says that close contacts of the president's will be notified throughout the day today. The president was traveling yesterday in Massachusetts which, with two lawmakers and other top officials. CNBC has reached out to those traveling with the president uh, for an update on their COVID status and any additional information that they can provide. Of course, the president also was traveling in the Middle East last week to Israel, the Palestinian state, and to Saudi Arabia. We've also reached out to the National Security Council and the State Department, whose top officials were traveling closely with the president president there. And we'll update you, Scott, as soon as we have any new information. Back to you. Appreciate the latest. That's Kayla Tausche at the White House for us. All right, let's continue the conversation here because, you know, Josh, you made an interesting point. You know, uh, all of these uh, high growth companies that we don't talk about uh, all, all the time, you know, leading us back from the abyss and whether you really wanted to be believers in those. But what if you don't have to be believers in obscure ticker symbol XYZ and you could hang your hat? on these mega caps continuing to do better than people thought. And that can get you to a place we didn't think we could go uh, in the market. As I said, I mean, NASDAQ's kicking on the, on the cusp of, of 12K. Yeah, NASDAQ's had a, a, a furious, very fast rally off the low and is still in a downtrend, um, is still very far below its 200-day. And the reason why that's important is because the market psychology in a downtrending market produces a different effect than what you had, for example, in 2017, in 2019, uh, in 2021, in most of 2020. It's a completely different thing when you've got a market that's in a statistical downtrend and the way that people act um, is really what dictates price. So that's why we talk about technicals so much. If you've been on the right side of the technicals this year, you're, you're looking at this huge rally off the low in, in uh, growth names, and it's well-deserved because, you, you know, stocks don't go straight up or straight down. It's not, it's not normal to have a market environment where every day is the same. So everything that's happening right now is well within what we've seen historically in downtrending markets. And then the last thing I'd point to is the VIX. And did anyone forget um, that the surefire way to trade this year so far, seven months and counting, has been as the VIX gradually um, starts to work its way down to 20 and things get really calm, that's where you want to take some stuff off or start taking less risk or implement your stops, whatever you're doing for risk management. And then as we get to 30 that 30 to 34 range, that's where no matter what your opinion is, you got to buy something. That If you look at a chart of the VIX year to date, that is working flawlessly. It's I think it's going to continue to work. So here we are back at VIX 23 and a half. We're back into that point where people are a little bit less wary, a little bit less nervous, and the setup is almost perfect. So now next week, you've got four of the, the, the five largest tech companies. Every one of these companies is telling us that they are doing hiring pauses or hiring freezes or they're withdrawing uh, uh, offers in some cases. Like, we know, we know what that's a prelude to. And remember the last earnings season when they reported in April. These stocks got annihilated. The earnings were good. They crushed them on guidance. That's what I'm concerned about. And that's what I will reserve judgment until we get through those earnings reports and those outlooks and those reactions and maybe I'll change my tune, but I'm telling you right now, a lot of the negatives are not yet in 
uh, the earnings themselves. They may be in the multiple contraction, but are not yet in the earnings. And that's what I think we have to be concerned about. Um, last thing, Jim mentioned we're only 15% into earnings season. Not by market cap. By market cap, the real earnings season starts this coming week. We ain't seen nothing yet. So how do you respond to that? Listen, he makes good points. And, I and think it's not, by the way, yeah. um, it's not a point of view. They're facts. You have painted this at times of one person's opinion versus another. Um, it is true that the market has been in a downtrend. It is true that housing is rolling over. It's true that the Fed is tightening. And it's very true that layoffs are being announced by the day and more are likely to be announced. Yeah. So, OK. So Fine. please. I mean, the, the overarching point that he made is it's indeterminate right now. And whether it's 15 percent or 10 percent by market cap, either way, we're talking about low numbers. I mean, I, and I already qualified that. But I think there's more to it than just the earnings so far. I think you look at where gasoline futures are right now. They're off, you know, more than uh, 25 percent in a month. That hasn't shown up at the pump yet. The reason this matters, and I know it's only one data point, but the point I'm driving at is that these data points need to be taken in conjunction with one another. For too long, it has been it has shown up at the, the pump. Time. Hang on. A it has actually shown it up. It has at the shown pump. up at the pump. It it's down 37 straight days. Guys, the price of gasoline. Okay, it has yes. shown up. Just Josh, take a breath. Okay, Jim. Just please. No, it has it, it has not fully shown up. Well, you didn't Prices say fully. At the, it's guys, shown you, up. You guys are so quick to jump. Just let me finish the thought, okay? Pump prices are down 10%. Gasoline futures are down 25%. Guess what's yet to happen? The full effect to show up. When it shows up, that's going to help consumer sentiment, which in turn is going to help the projections for consumption and the overall investment tone. Now, I am not resting everything in my thesis on where gasoline futures are. We're going to talk about something in the next block that will be on the opposite side of that. But the point I'm trying to drive at here, and I've been trying to drive at it for weeks now, is you need to take this all in balance. Yes, I see where housing is. Yes, I also am talking about where corporate capex is going. The point I'm driving at is for too long the positives have been completely ignored. I think it's perfectly reasonable for some emphasis to be placed on them now. Okay, I would suggest that the risks, the risks are not balanced. Okay, the risks are not balanced. The risks are leaning negative for all of the reasons that Josh laid out. Now, many of them may not come to fruition to the degree that some think they will. But at this very moment, the risks are skewed negative. And you can't tell me there's an equal risk reward in the market today. They're just I, I plain and simply that. is not. I will grant you that. You know what I'm going to say. The market's down 17 percent, and that's on the S&P 500. I don't even know what the Nasdaq's down from its peak. Maybe Josh knows. Maybe somebody else knows. But that but hasn't necessarily improved the risk reward equation I just disagree. because the market's down 17 percent because we don't know clearly what really is going to happen with earnings and the economy yet so let's find out you're right i can't predict what next next week is going to show um i i do know that and this is opinion you are correct that there's been a heck of a lot of emphasis on negative, that there's a lot of comparisons, uh, for, particularly on sentiment surveys, to where we were in the great financial crisis. Guys, we're not in the great financial crisis. Take a look at the banking sector. Look at the strength there. Look at the labor market. Uh, there's a lot of indications that we're just not where we were 14 years ago and not even close to it. Yeah, and I, believe me, I mean, I don't, I, no one on this program has suggested anything otherwise. I, I, I'm merely talking to the sentiment surveys, investor, CEO, small business. They're all Fund going manager, back. they're bad. They're all going back to 2008. We're just not there. Let I'm me sorry. go through some of these calls. There, there's, I mentioned we have some 
calls on these big, big caps, none of which are going to surprise anybody. Uh, Apple reiterated overweight, $180 is the price target. What's interesting there is for however many of the last, you know, many years that we've mentioned Morgan Stanley on Apple, it's been Katie Huberty. It is no longer. Uh, There apparently is a new analyst that is covering Apple for Morgan Stanley uh, by the name of Eric Woodring. Uh, We have called over to Morgan Stanley. We have asked if um, Huberty has left the firm, if she's moved on to different coverage, and we're waiting to hear back. Um, Just interesting because she has been a star analyst and she has been the one on this name, arguably more closely followed than anybody else. Uh, New analyst, reiteration overweight, 180 the price target. I figured you all would want to know that. Reiterated by 185 at UBS. Amazon, reiterated top pick, on and on and on and on and on. And by the way, we're going to get snap in overtime today. And I don't want uh, any of you to miss that, not just because I want you to watch overtime, but it matters because it's the first mover look at the digital advertising market. If you want to have an idea of what Meta, Facebook and Alphabet are going to report next week, what the commentary is going to be around ad pricing and a slowdown in the digital ad environment, then you got to see what snap reports. Remember, because when they reported in April, they came back and they cut their own guidance in May. In May, after they just reported in April, they said they weren't going to meet their targets. They were going to be at the lower end of the range. The stock cratered and on and on and on. So that's why you need to see what happens today. Brenda, which is why I'm sure you're going to be paying close attention to Snap because you own both Meta and Alphabet. We do own both Meta and Alphabet. But I would say, you know, if we again, if we look at the stocks and we look at multiples, especially with a Meta, there is a lot of bad news baked in. So I think, you know, even if we look at, you know what, I don't want to compare it to Netflix, but let's just look at what happened in Netflix last week. Expectations just got way too low. Um, so even if things aren't quite as bad as everyone's fearing, but they're still not great, I think you can see um, some money start to move back into some of these names that have underperformed. Yeah. Jason Snipe, real quick, uh, you're going to be paying attention this afternoon. You own Alphabet. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. And I think what's what's so important, which is the point you just mentioned on on ad spend. You know, I don't I don't own Snap, as, as you said, but where where is ad spend? How is that? How is how what's the read through for, for Google and the, and the rest of the names in the space? Meta Meta included, because obviously, as 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 uh, business slows and potentially the economy slows, I mean, ad revenue is one of the first first things to fall. So it's going to be very important to kind of see what that, how that looks, what those numbers look like for the internet name. So yeah, I'll be I'll be watching closely, just like everybody else. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Farmer Jim, he mentioned it. He has a new buy. He's going to reveal that. We'll trade it, of course. We'll do it next. There's your market picture. Dow's gone negative again, down about 24 or so. S and P still positive. Nasdaq still strong. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. Okay, we are back. I mentioned Jim Labenthal has made a move in his portfolio, and I'm looking at crude oil today, which is down 3%, which plays right into this move, which is what? ExxonMobil, Scott. Seems a bit of a no-brainer to me. It's off about 18% from a recent high, along with moved lowers in, in crude and uh, gasoline, as I mentioned. Uh, listen, I talked about gasoline just a second ago. I don't think we're going down to $2 a gallon. Um, Josh laid out rather eloquently what the issues are. There's going to be a secular supply-demand imbalance for years to come. I know Exxon's reporting next week. I'm not trying to predict which way earnings are going. I'm just uh, starting a position here. I'll add to it. 4% dividend yield, uh, single-digit multiple, and secular reasons for it to continue to grow going forward. So for me, as I said, it's a no-brainer. All right, let's debate it. Um, and I wanted to use those words, no-brainer. Josh Brown, are, are some of these energy names that have pulled back no-brainers at this point? Yeah, I, I, like, uh, I like the setup here on Exxon. Um, high 70s seem to have been support going back to late February. Uh, Exxon looked like it was going to take out that low and bounced off of that pretty substantially. Um, and now back to reclaiming its 50-day moving average. I think... Uh, I think this one's setting up nicely. Um, I'm in the IEO, which are smaller names, not as much hedging going on. These are basically pure plays on higher prices, um, not as big dividends, of course, uh, as an ExxonMobil. But directionally, they're probably both going to do the same thing. IEO is one of the few positions I actually have added to over the last six weeks. So that's an ETF of um, producers here in the United States. And uh I think in the second half, they're going to do great. Okay. Bren, what about you? Yeah, I think, you know, even though even though oil prices have come down, you know, these companies are still very profitable. So I, I think that, um, you know, it's still a decent idea. I don't think that, that the trade is over at all. We own Chevron and Chenier. Um, so we think that, as Jim mentioned, the supply-demand imbalance is going to be in place for a long time. Uh, so I don't think that... Um, it's a bad idea to continue looking at this group as a, as a source of opportunity here. Okay. Can Let's, I ask you? Can I? Can I ask you a question about Chenier? So I've been I've been looking at this one, and I almost pulled the trigger. It's it it's been making a series of lower highs, which I don't love, but I feel like this is the best way outside of like the actual commodities to play that supply demand imbalance um, internationally and. You talk about like natural gas trading in in Amsterdam for fifty dollars, and us being able to produce it here at seven eight bucks. Um, LNG terminals are the the go between where all the money will be made. Do I have that part of the story right? And if I do, is Chenier like the best way to play that for the second half? 
you do have that story right. And I think the other big picture is there's just no more supply coming online. Um, and there is increasing demand. So I think in our view, you know, this is one of the best ways to play that that theme that's happening and it's not going to go away anytime soon, um, even though uh, gas prices rose exponentially um, and may have come back down a little bit, but it doesn't matter. There's still this incredible supply demand imbalance in place. Guys, good stuff. Uh, let's take another break. We'll come back. We do have several movers on earnings today owned by the committee, which means we'll trade them when we come back. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all electric ZDX with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313 mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Earnings season continues. We have a number of names in Jim Labenthal's wheelhouse. So this is all you, okay? It was a busy morning. Alaska Airlines. Yeah. All right. They beat top and bottom, lower profit, stocks down, follows United yesterday where the stock got creamed. United. What's United, the story United kind of soured the whole industry today. Here's the story, though. It's not perfect. Yeah, you a, live with the good, you ride with the bad, right? I, I mean, got you're it. I all got over it. Delta's got, optimism the last time, right? got it. You're absolutely <laughs> right, okay? This is yeah. not unblemished. Actually, Alaska Airlines was unblemished. I mean, just phenomenal results. But there's a problem in the industry. It's an operational problem. I am hoping like heck, and there's no way to know ahead of time that this doesn't turn out like the semiconductor issue for automobiles. Hopefully these guys will get their uh, labor shortages worked out and adjust their capacity to match whatever shortages they have. But in the meantime, the most important thing from all of these companies, the demand is still there for air travel and it's coming back in international uh, and in business. So it should be good times. They got to get through these operational. We'll, find, we'll hear directly from the CEO, by the way, uh, in the next hour, uh, really, because really the CEO's, company. CEO's really on, well the ex- on the exchange. Uh, Union Pacific, again, top and bottom beat. You own that stock. What's your story here? Top and bottom beat, lackluster guidance going forward. I'm in this over the years to come, Scott. I won't bore you with my thesis again about what this decade is going to produce, but it's going to need train traffic. And so, you know, one quarter reported and one quarter ahead is not going to throw me from the train. Is on, pardon the pun. Is uh, onshoring part of your thesis? <laughs> <laughs> is infrastructure spending anywhere in there? Just checking. Uh, tractor supply. They yeah. beat. Rev's in line. They raise their guidance. That's you again. It's a good, actually, it's a really good company, right? I mean, with all the, the disasters going on in retail, people like to go shop at Tractor Supply. Scott, come up to the farm sometime. Let's Why go is the stock supply. down for almost 5% if everything's so great? Eh, I don't know. I don't know, Scott. The, the results were good. It happens. Down 5%? It happens. Let's, I mean, what's the stock done, done lately? They, did, it, did it run up a lot into the number? You would know better than me. We, we got, we got CEO's going to be on mad money, by the way, they, yep. they, uh, they just tell me. I mean, the stock year-to-date's up seven, down 17, 
Everything's so great. Why is the stock down 17? Yeah, where's Target? Where's Walmart? Because it's 23 times earnings in a market that is headed toward 14 times earnings. We're, we're stuck it's, on tractor it's a great supply. Comp, it's a great company. We're stuck on tractor Category supply. Category killer, tractor supply, but it doesn't matter. Did you see Kinder Morgan last night? I did. Beat, beat and raise? We're not stuck on tractor supply. I mean, I literally want to know if everything's so great, why is the stock down after People earnings? People don't like retail right now. They think the best is in. That's, it's that simple. Because discretionary stocks have been doing well. Okay. I mean, comparative to Target and Walmart this year, Tractor Supply has done very well. Why are you comparing it to those two? Because it's in retail. What do you mean? I'm not comparing it to like, you know. Well, why are you like cherry picking like those retailers? Okay. Do you... <laughs> are you done? Not really, but I'll move on anyway. Danaher, uh, Brenda, that's you. Help us out here. Yeah. So the company reported an excellent quarter, really strength across all business sizes segments, but especially the diagnostics business, which I think, you know, there had been an expectation that growth was going to really slow significantly, and we just didn't see that happen. So we continue to really like this name, gave solid guidance for growth going forward, um, excellent management team. This is a, really a standout name, we think, within the healthcare group. It's not inexpensive, but it is an incredibly high-quality company that's executing. Okay. All right, good stuff. Let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha. Hi, Scott. Good afternoon. Here's the CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden testing positive for COVID this morning, experiencing mild symptoms. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell sent his well wishes, as did House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. On my way here, I learned that our president has perhaps diagnosed with COVID. I understand that the symptoms are light. I hope they continue to be so. That was my experience. And uh, I hope that that's the case uh, for the president. The World Health Organization announcing the next step in its rollout of the world's first authorized malaria vaccine in three African countries. The vaccine is about 30 percent effective and requires four doses, but advocates hope it will be the first step in reducing malaria deaths. And a judge deciding not to extend a temporary restraining order placed against Ricky Martin this month by his nephew after the nephew dropped the case. The order was granted after Martin's nephew had alleged that he had been in a romantic relationship with him for seven months and feared for his safety. Halftime returns after this. Real estate has been one of the worst performing S&P sectors so far this year, falling nearly 20%. Now, Morgan Stanley sees opportunity within that space in the REITs, which is why we wanted to do this, Josh. You just have your Simon Property Group holding. You also have Invitation Homes. They see modest Q2 beats and 22, 2022 uh, guide raises. They do, uh, they're pretty positive on Simon, but what's your view of REITs here? Uh, I, listen, I, I think it's, it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year for these because they're so interest rate sensitive, right? This is the, the, the type of investment um, that would work better in a different kind of environment. But you have to play the hand that you're dealt. So I'm broadly positive on them. I think the only way to really think about REITs, though, is not tactically. I think you want to think about them strategically. They should inhabit a certain percentage of every investor's portfolio. Um, and then you can you can kind of uh, have that be within a band. But I don't think the decision is ever yes or no REITs. The main thing I want our uh, viewers to understand is that the income that you're paid to own a REIT, which is most of the reason to own these things, is not a dividend. You're being taxed at ordinary income rates. 
So if you are going to buy VNQ, the Vanguard Real Estate ETF, for example, or you're going to pick one of the REITs I own, like Simon or um, Invitation Homes, you want to make sure, if possible, you own those in a tax-deferred account like an IRA. That way, you don't have to worry about being, you know, if you're in a high tax bracket, you don't want to pay out 43%. Uh, in taxes on that income if you can avoid it. So um, that would be, I think, the most uh, beneficial way to own REITs. And yes, everybody should have some REITs in their portfolio. Brenda, American Tower is yours, and you call it an unconventional REIT. Yeah, I mean, I think when we think about real estate, our minds don't automatically go to, you know, cell phone towers, but that's what this company is a tower company. We continue to think there's going to be ongoing need and growth uh, within this part of the industry. And we really like the defensive nature in general, because this is, you know, a great source of very predictable revenue uh, that's coming in here. Um, Unlike uh, some of the other REITs out there where some of their futures are really in question, like office related REITs, uh, this one, there's no question in our view that it's going to continue to be relevant and continue to grow here. So that's why we've chosen it out of the group, even though the yield is a little bit lower, just 2% than some of the other options within the group. Jason Snipe, why no REITs? Do you have any real estate exposure at all? I really don't. I mean, our our real estate exposures on the the housing side, you know, the HD and and Lowe's um, and interest rate, as Josh mentioned, interest rate sensitivity, I think it makes it a tough, tough spot for it. Uh, in, in this environment. But yeah, that, that's, that's really our exposure at this play, at this stance. Okay. Jim Labenthal, Camden Property Trust, CPT is yours. Tell me about it. A uh, nice apartment REIT that's growing in the, in the Sun Belt of the U.S., which is exactly where people are migrating to. You know, I'm not a big REIT fan, but I felt like I had to have some exposure, and this is the one I chose. Yeah, but obviously it's, it's exceptionally real estate, I'm, real estate, rate sensitive. Well, they all are. They all That's are. That's right. The, the space. Yeah. Um, yes. But and listen, I hate what's about to come out of my mouth. Rents are going higher. I know I hate it. I hate it. But they are going higher. Uh, I'm not wishing ill on people, but they're going higher and it's going to do well for apartment REITs. OK, we've got some calls of the day we need to do. We'll do it next. All right, American Express and Cleveland Cliffs are set to report earnings tomorrow morning. Jason, let's do Amex first because you own it. Uh, good read on the business consumer comes after some of the traditional banks. What are you thinking? Yeah, so Amex is down about 9%, which I think has outperformed most of the financials at this point. It's trading at 15 times forward. As you said, I mean, good read through onto the consumer, uh, to the business consumer. I mean, we talk a lot about entertainment and travel. It's really about 30% of their revenue. So I'm really looking for card spend and, and, and how they've responded. So I, th- I think it will be a good quarter, um, but we'll kind of see how, how it plays out tomorrow. I'd expect, I mean, Brenda, you're watching MX, you own Visa. I, I can only, you know, there's a lot of talk about consumers doing a lot of spending now on credit cards. Uh, I can think of a lot of transactions uh, when we start to hear from these. Yeah, and I think we're going to be, we don't own Amex, but own Visa, as you said, and we're really going to be looking at what cross-border transactions look like. That's an important part of Visa's business that just hasn't been very strong over the last few years, but I think it certainly could pick up, particularly if we look at Euro, U.S. dollar parity, um, and just and how that, and, and some of the easing restrictions related to COVID, and how that could be driving some international travel, which is really profitable for a lot of these companies. Okay. Pharma Jim, Cleveland Cliffs. The big one. The biggie. 
Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, Nucor reported this morning, Steel Dynamics reported last night. Not only fabulous results, but go ahead and just look at the commentary. It was very, very positive. So, you know, as of July 21st, demand in the steel industry is pretty darn good. I expect the same from Cleveland Cliffs tomorrow. And I think we're in a win-win situation here because they're buying back shares. They've got the free cash flow with which to do so. So if the stock price tomorrow doesn't respect the results, they'll buy back more shares. If the stock price tomorrow does respect the results then that's a good thing as well. You're in a win-win when you have positive cash flows. Down 21% over the last year. How did I know? How did I know you would do that? You don't so, think these are important? Down, I think down, what's, down, wait, uh, Let me finish. I know how much you love, love the company, the CEO. Blah, 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 blah. It's down 43% in three months. Yeah. Why? Listen, it's a valid point. Concerns yeah. about global growth? Exactly. But here's what you have to know if you're going to own this name as an investor. Two years, okay? It's up 200%. The S&P 500 is up 25%. In order to get those sorts of outperformance, you have to have the guts to stick with it. I see what the stock's done this year. Believe me, I feel it, okay? But this stock is likely to be a lot higher than this, and I'm not going to muck around by trying to sell it and then buy it back a week or a month later. That's a recipe, in my experience, for failure. Hold this thing and you're going to get market beating returns. I only bring it up because no, our, our, our viewers may not have the luxury of having been in the name for the last couple of years or few years or whatever time frame you said had, totally had outpaced the, the S&P. They've gotten into it because of you. Yeah. And please. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. OK. You have to hold this thing. You can't trade in and out. I mean, just look at the two-year chart. This thing's got, it looks like the Alps, okay? But the trend is clearly higher, and you just have to have the guts to stick through it. Um, I'll tell you when I'm selling. I haven't sold a share. All right, good stuff. Uh, we'll be right back. Now, all of you probably know that President Biden has tested for COVID, uh, positive for COVID today. He is isolating and said to be experiencing mild symptoms. He has tweeted just a moment ago, and we wanted to share that with you. The president saying there he is with a picture as well. Folks, I'm doing great. Thanks for your concern. Just called Senator Casey, a Congressman Cartwright and Mayor Cognetti. That's the mayor of Scranton and my Scranton cousins to send my regrets for missing our event today keeping uh, busy. That, so that's the latest uh, directly from the president. Again, testing positive earlier for COVID and uh, isolating, uh, said to be experiencing mild symptoms. All right, let's talk about a couple of calls before we go today as we make a turn here. City is opening a positive catalyst watch on NXP Semi and a negative catalyst watch on Intel. It's one of our calls of the day. Uh, Brenda, you own Intel. What do you think about this call? Negative catalyst watch. Them and everybody else, I suppose. That's right. I would say, you know, Intel falls into the camp of a company where expectations are low, but I think we had decent execution last quarter. We could see that again this quarter. But I think importantly, if we start to see supply chain issues ease, uh, we could see a pickup in demand uh, for PC um, and the data center business in the second half of the year. And that could certainly be a positive surprise. So I think, you know, Intel is one a company that everybody loves to hate. Um, but in, at the end of the day, they're in a very important company within the industry. They're not going anywhere. The stock is incredibly cheap. So we're continuing to stick with it. Okay. Uh, you own an NXP. 
Yeah, it's a pretty simple story here. Their, their main business is automotive chips. Uh, we know that automobile production is hampered by only one thing, and the demand is there. So as fast as these guys can produce chips, uh, the demand is there for them. So it's a pretty good situation. Not a very expensive stock either. And you think demand is going to remain for, I, for autos? I do. I do. Um, and the re- listen, simple reason why. Average age of autos on the American road, 12.2 years, which is a record. These things wear out. Yes, I also own genuine parts in case you know people want to refurbish them, but you can only do so much with a 12-and-a-half-year-old car. Even in a slowing economy and right forward announcing layoffs, et cetera. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I looked at the jobless claims today. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the pop in initial is not good, but continuing claims are continuing to hover at this 50 year low. I mean, they're right there, which means that jobs are there for the taking. And I don't like somebody getting laid off. But the good news is there are jobs that they can immediately find. Hey, give me a, a, something on deer real quick. Name top pick into earnings at Oppie. Uh Price target 365. They go outperform. You own it too. Uh, new, new, pick, new, new pick, right? It's a month old, so I didn't yeah. buy it on this quarter or next quarters. I bought it on what we see going on uh, terribly in Ukraine with the destruction of, of farming fields there. We know there's going to need to be plantings everywhere. Deer's precision uh, planting equipment is very vital. And by the way, they've got a decent construction business as well. You know what that plays into. I do. Infrastructure? Yes, and supply chain onshoring. Good stuff. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we'll take a quick <laughs> break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Three hours from now, 4 p.m. Eastern time, snap earnings. I told you, you can't miss those if you want the up to the date read, up to the minute read on what's happening in the digital ad market. Uh, Important company to watch for Facebook and Alphabet. Uh, next week, the VC star Rick Heitzman will be with us. Dan Greenhouse there as well. Plus, Anthony Scaramucci is going to join us. Uh, continuing the conversation on what's happening uh, with his firm, uh, withdrawals related to Bitcoin, uh, et cetera. A lot to talk about with all of them. I hope you'll join me in just a few hours time from now. Before we get to final trades, we do want to say congrats to Josh Brown. Ritholtz Wealth Management was just named among the top 50 fastest growing financial advisory firms by Smart Asset Josh's firm coming in number four on that list. Congrats. What are you guys trying to build ultimately? Uh, I think we want to be the most respected uh, wealth management firm in the whole RIA industry. We talk about that on a repeated basis. So size is good. Speed is good. But I think we, we want to just feel that esteem. And everybody that we have, we have 54 people here. And that's what everybody thinks about when they wake up. How can they help us toward that goal? So it's, it's been an amazing ride, and uh, I just I love what I do so much. All right. Now we can tell. Uh, number four, again, on the top 50 fastest-growing financial advisor list. Congrats to you. Give me a final trade while I have you. Uh, invitation Homes, a solid read. It's a play on higher rent, and I agree with Jimmy. That is coming. Uh, it's already come. I mean, it's already now. Uh, hope it doesn't get too it's much now. worse, for sure. Uh, Jason Snipe. I like Watsco here. It's a heating and ventilation business. Just broke through its 50-day, uh, so it's in a statistical uptrend, 3.4% yield. I like it here. Okay. Brenda? Um, Abbott Labs. This is a stock that's really underperformed the broader healthcare group, but it's all about COVID testing this year. Next year, I think it's going to be more about the underlying business trends and the organic growth there, so I think it's a good opportunity here. Okay. And lastly, uh, to you, must be Boeing. It is Boeing. Um, look, I'm aware it's up about 15% in two weeks. 
This week's Farm Bureau Air Show really put the wind in the sails for the company. A lot of orders, 737 MAX, 777X, and the 787. I think next week you're going to see a lot of analyst upgrades on, on just the news flow from this week. You feeling pretty good on where the market has, has been able to get to? I'm nervous. Oh, look, I'm not I'm not like insanely invisible uh, to the risks that are out there. I, know. I see them. Um, I just think that the positives have been underemphasized. And so I feel modestly OK about the weeks ahead. OK, maybe we're making a turn. Could we be. shall see. Thank you. I'll see you all in three hours in OT. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.